And what we want to look at is how our flesh leads us into sin. Because my hope is that by our learning how our flesh wars against us, then we're better able, we're better equipped to overcome our flesh and live not according to our flesh, but according to the Spirit. And one of the best descriptions I know of in God's Word of how the flesh works, of how it leads us into sin, is found right here in James chapter 1. We're going to focus really closely, almost word by word, in verses 14 and 15. I'm going to read verses 12 through 18 just to put those two verses into some context. I'll pray for us, and we'll dig in. Hear now God's Word from James chapter 1, beginning in verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you set out these truths for us. Thank you that we have been born again, that you have been given us new birth through the word of truth. And so I pray that you would use that word that you inspired through James, that you would use that word now. And I pray that you would open our minds and that you would help us to understand how our flesh leads us into sin. And I pray that you would give us this understanding so that we might walk not according to our flesh, but according to the Spirit, that we would be your people who were indeed made new. And I pray that you'd be willing to do all of this, even through the sin-stained lips of a foolish preacher. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. I don't know how you spent your time over the recent snowcation we had over the last week, but I had a little more time at home and a little more time to watch some TV. And a show I love to watch is that show called Criminal Minds. I don't know if you've seen that one. It's about a division of the FBI called the Behavioral Analysis Unit. And what the folks at that unit do is they research and interview criminals to see their common characteristics and to understand why they do what they do so that when future crime happens, they can tell folks what those criminals are doing so that they can be stopped quicker. So when a certain type of crime happens, folks call in this unit of the FBI and they tell the public and the police, okay, this is the profile of what you're looking for. This is the kind of person you're looking for. These are the things that motivate them. These are, this is what drives them to do what they do. And so this is what you need to be looking for. And they do that so that the criminal can be caught, so the crime spree can be stopped. 
That's really what I want to do with you this afternoon. I want to give you a profile or a description of your flesh. I want to say here's how it typically leads you into sin. And I want to show you that so that you recognize it in your own life, that you're quicker to recognize it and to turn from it, to turn back to it. You're quicker to repent so that we can stop sinning as much or as often. We're quicker to repent. And in that way, we are being made new. And as I thought about the best profile or best description of how the flesh leads us into sin, you can't do any better than James chapter 1. And so as we come here, as I mentioned, I want to focus on verses 14 and 15 to look and to see how our flesh leads us into sin. Lee and I had a debate about the best way to talk about this. I don't want to call it five steps, even though there are five things. They are kind of steps down a path towards sin, but it's really more of a, of a continuum. It's really more of a, of a spectrum, uh, but we're breaking it down so that we can recognize it. We can name it, okay? And so, for lack of a better term, these five steps our flesh takes us through to lead us into sin. Number one, we are lured. You see that in verse 14. You see it there? But each person is tempted when he is lured. The King James Version says when you are drawn away. This tactic that the flesh uses is aimed at your mind. You see, your mind is the gatekeeper over your soul. Your mind is the watchman. And our mind questions things and assesses things. Our mind asks, is this right? Will this please God? Our mind discerns if something is consistent with God's word. You may recall that last week, in the first week of this sermon series, we looked in Romans chapter 8 and verse 5, and we saw that the way we live not according to the flesh, but living according to the Spirit, is to set our mind on spiritual things. And so what James is describing here is that the way the flesh works, he's describing it by a fishing or a hunting metaphor. We walk by the Spirit by setting our mind on spiritual things, Romans 8 and verse 5. But your flesh lures you. Your flesh draws you away. Your mind becomes distracted from spiritual things. And with the watchman gone, <laughs> with the gatekeeper absent, then your flesh is able to go to work. Now notice... I, I don't know that we're actually in sin yet. We were just focused on spiritual things, and now we're beginning to look at things that are not so spiritual. I don't know that we're in sin. I suppose we could be, but not necessarily. But that's the first step. We want to recognize that. Step two. Keep going in verse 14. But each person is tempted when he is lured and, number two, enticed... By his own desire. That's the rest of verse 14. Enticed by his own desire. Your flesh now takes aim at your affections. You see, the way we work as people is when our mind 
is on something that is not spiritual, our affections are designed to follow our mind. And we begin to desire, to long for, to cling to the things that we set our minds on. And so when we set our mind on things that are not spiritual, then our affections, our desire, we begin to long for and cling to things that are not spiritual. Because our affections are are designed to desire, to long for, to cling to what our mind tells us is good, what our mind focuses on. So that's the next step in the progression. Our mind is distracted, is drawn away, is lured from spiritual things, step one. Number two, our affections begin to desire that thing. You see it there in verse 14, and enticed by his own desire. Step three, verse 15. I'm calling this desire conceived. Look at verse 15. Then desire, when it has conceived gives birth to sin. I'm putting a step in here, a step three, desire conceived. This involves your will. You see, when your mind is lured away, drawn away, and your affections begin to long for, desire, cling to what you have set your mind on, desire conceived is an act of your will. You make a decision, you decide, you choose that you're going to move toward that thing that your mind is on and that your affections are drawing you to. And so desire conceived is an act of our will. We decide, I'm going to move toward this thing, I'm going to take action to achieve this thing, to have this thing, to move I don't know that we're necessarily in sin yet. Sometimes we're just curious. We just want to move closer. We just want to find out a little bit more. Maybe we haven't crossed the line yet. Step four is crossing the line, right? Then desire, when it's conceived, gives birth to sin. So step four is sin birthed. Sin happens. Sin occurs Maybe in our actions that we decided with our will we were going to take. Maybe with our words, something that we decide to say. Maybe just in our thoughts and in our heart that we decide to move towards something that is unspiritual and we cross that line and sin is birth. That's step four. Step five. Full-grown sin brings death. Look at 15, it's it's in its entirety. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. There's sin birth. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. It's the fifth step, death. It's not talking about physical death, although sin can lead us into physical death. Really more of a reference to spiritual death spiritually being cut off from God, the source of all life. Think Garden of Eden. They were told, you will surely die. They eat the fruit. They don't physically die right away, although death comes into the world. But there is a spiritual death that occurs. Now, this is very important, this step five. You need to understand this. Think about what this means. If this is the progression, if this is the spectrum, if this is where your flesh wants to take you, then you need to understand the goal of your flesh 
is to lead you to spiritual death. That's the goal of your flesh. And listen, your flesh will try to deceive you into believing that the consequences of sin are not that big a deal. Your flesh deceives you. In fact, that's the next thing. What does verse 16 say? So don't be deceived, dear brothers. Right? Because your flesh is going to try to deceive you into thinking the consequences of sin are maybe you just won't get as many blessings from God as you would have. I'll just take some blessings, but I want to taste this. I want to experience this. I want to move toward this. Maybe my seat in heaven won't be as close to the front. It'll be further back. But our flesh deceives us into thinking that we're still in control, <laughs> that I can stop any time that I want to, that we won't get caught, that the consequences of sin birthed is not a big deal. But listen, I want you to know, the consequences of sin can be extreme. John chapter 10 and verse 10, Jesus there says that the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. That's where your flesh wants to take you, to rob you of joy, to rob you of the more full life that Jesus goes on to say, right? What does he say? The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy, but I come that you may have life and you may have it to the full. Your flesh wants to rob you of the full life that is available in Christ. Your flesh wants to destroy you, to lead you to spiritual destruction. That is its goal. Even as you hear me say, you may think, well, that's a little extreme. <laughs> I don't know. That's your flesh talking to you. If you're hearing that voice, <laughs> your flesh is making my point for me. That sin's not that big a deal. It's not that extreme. Now, I want to put all five of the steps up there and listen for those of you who are into this sort of thing. I know this violates the rule of how many words you can have on one slide, okay? I know that I'm violating that rule. But I just wanted to look at them all together for a minute and kind of start at the bottom and work our way back up. So that fifth one, full-grown sin. My note-taker's like, oh, let me get those down right. The fifth one, Full-grown sin brings death. That's the goal of your flesh, is that you would lead to spiritual death, that you would be destroyed spiritually. I want to point out that this fifth step is never fully reached in a true Christian. That yes, we sin, but for the true Christian, we're never taken that far. That there is a perseverance of the saints. That we're able to withstand, that God preserves his people. And, and why, I think it's important to point out why a true believer never gets to step up. Four, yes, sin birthed, absolutely in our lives, right? But not step five. Why is that the case? Well, remember, Romans 7 talked about this struggle. I have the flesh. I do what I don't want to do. I'm caught up. Who's going to save me from this body of sin and death? And Romans 8 and verse 1 tells us there is now no condemnation for believers who are in that struggle, right? Because we're in Christ Jesus. Romans 8 and verse 2 says the reason why is because of the indwelling spirit. The spirit set us free from sin and death as described in Romans 7. Well, how did that happen? Romans 8 and verse 3 tells us 
Because God did what the law was powerless to do because the law was weakened by the flesh. God did in sending his own son who lived a perfect life, who met the requirements, the righteous requirements of the law on your behalf. We don't get to step five. There's no condemnation for us as true Christians because of the work of Christ, because of his perfect life, because he lived the life we should have lived, because he died the death we should have died. He took the condemnation. He took the judgment of God on himself that our sin deserved, such that there's no more condemnation for us. Our sins have been paid for. That's why we sing hallelujah, right? Christ reigns eternal. It's why we sing. It's why we praise him. As we come together, I also feel compelled to say, if you are not a believer, I want you to hear very clearly from God's word, this is where your flesh is taking you to utter destruction, to spiritual death. But there is a way out, turning to Christ Jesus, Romans 8, verses 1 through 3. So notice... The true Christian is never going to get to this point of full-grown sin bringing death. But, Christian, listen to me, that does not mean that we don't experience the consequences of our sin. We do. When we get to step four, sin birth, when sin happens, there are consequences. Listen, for the true believer, for someone who's truly a Christian... If you kill somebody, if you rob a bank, that doesn't mean you're going to hell. But it probably does mean you're going to jail, right? There are consequences for sin. For the true Christian, just because you're unfaithful in your marriage, you commit the act of adultery, you go that far. That doesn't mean you're going to hell if you're a true Christian. It does mean you're going to experience the consequences of unfaithfulness in your marriage and in your family. That those consequences are real. So listen, Christian, your flesh will try to convince you, hey, five is not going to happen to you, so you can kind of wait out there a little bit, and it's okay. And I want you to hear that there are real consequences for our sin. Not hell, not condemnation from God. Oh, but there are consequences for not living life the way God designed it to be lived. For not walking the safe path that he sets out for us in his law. I would add that sometimes God, in his mercy, even stops us at step four. That we can go through the first three that we're lured away, that our minds are on things that are unspiritual, that we're enticed by our own desire, that we decide in our heart, I am going to have this thing, I am going to take steps to move toward it, and then God, in his grace, in his mercy, sometimes aborts conceived sin. You may have determined you're going to have an affair, that you're going to try to make moves on the person. And they turn down your advances, that you're going to rob the bank, but something happens to prevent you. There are times that God, in his grace and his mercy, 
aborts desire conceived before it gets to sin birthed. But in the Christian life, as we live and move and have our being, as we're being made new, the goal is for us to stay in one through three, right? To not even get to step four. We want to stay in this part. In fact, one of the very reasons that God has given us and preserved, lo, these many years, this text, verses 14 and 15, is that one of the means God gives to prevent our falling into sin is to warn us of these first three steps so that we can avoid falling into sin. That we can live life to the full. That we can avoid many pains and heartaches. So based on James 1, based on what we're looking at here, what we've learned so far, this is how being made new happens. This is what it looks like to walk not by the flesh, but by the Spirit. It looks like this. It looks like our mind is the watchman, the gatekeeper over us. That our mind should be questioning and assessing everything, saying, is this right? Is it good? Is it holy? Will it please God? Our minds should discern, is this consistent with God's word? So let me ask you, are you using your mind in that way? Is that how your mind is working? Do you need to train your mind to work in that way? Is your mind set on spiritual things or has your mind been lured, drawn away? distracted from spiritual things if so if your focus is on things that are not spiritual you're in step one your flesh is at work second if our mind discerns something is right and good then our affections desire long for cling to what our mind has said is right and good. So let me just ask you, do you desire what is right and good? I often have people come into my offices and as I talk about these things, they'll say, you know, I don't even desire that. Hey, listen, that's the first step is just admitting that's where you are, just being honest with God and with yourself. I don't even desire these things. Do you desire what is right and good? If not, Set your mind on spiritual things and pray that God would change your heart and change your desires. Change what you long for. That he would change what you cling to by the power of his spirit. Then our will. Our will carries out what the mind said was right and good and what our affections are desiring or longing for. So as an act of our will, let's make wise decisions let's choose to move toward what is right and good let's just make that decision together we're going to decide to do that in our community group we're going to decide we're going to help each other move toward what is right we're going to make a conscious decision we're going to hold one another accountable that we're going to move toward what is we're going to move toward putting our mind on spiritual things that our affections may follow Let's just, by an act of our will, make this decision. Hold one another accountable. And when each of these three, our 
mind, our affections, and our will, when they're worked rightly, then we are being made new. We are walking not by the flesh, but by the Spirit, and we obey God from our heart. Now, if you've heard this story before, you know that because of the fall and because of sin living in us, these three, our mind, our affections, and our will, do not always work the way that they should. And so over the next three weeks, we're going to take one week each to focus on each of these things. To look at our mind and how is it that we can set our mind on things that are spiritual. To look at our affections, that we would desire what is right and good. To look at our will, so that we can learn how the flesh fools us. So we can see how the flesh deceives us, so we can avoid its deception in our lives. So that we can walk not by the flesh, but by the Spirit. So that we might walk in the power of the Holy Spirit and thereby be made new. I hope you'll join us for those next three weeks. Let me pray for us as we look forward to that time together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you just set out for us that this is how our flesh works. This is how it leads us into sin. Thank you for this information. I do pray that this information would lead to transformation, that it would change the way that we do life, that we would be cognizant of what we set our minds on, that we would be careful about our affections, what it is that we desire, that our will would make conscious decisions to move toward things that are spiritual. Oh, Father, guard these things in us. We will walk away and forget these prayers. We ask that you would not forget, that you would continue to be at work in us, that you would show your faithfulness to people who are unfaithful, and that you would continue to pursue us, that we might be made new. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.